A reading from Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart to give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. A reading from the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how could some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain, and your faith has been in vain. We are not even found to be, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he had raised Christ, whom we did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Jesus came down with the twelve apostles and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. All in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, 
for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. The Gospel of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to thee, O Lord, my strength and redeemer. Please be seated. In today's gospel, Jesus comforts the poor and the hungry and the sad and the outcast and tells them they are blessed and the kingdom of God is theirs. Not so comforting, maybe, to some of us, are his next words. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you. This sounds like many of us could be up the creek. We fit this description. Is it all downhill for us from here? What what do these words mean? Do they matter? How are we to respond to this message in our lives? These are obviously not questions you can get the answer to on Google. When Jesus came to the plains where he spoke in our gospel today, we're told that huge crowds had gathered from as far as the northern coastal city of Sidon and to at least as far south as Jerusalem. That would be an expanse of about 150 miles. That's a long way to walk to see a teacher. And these crowds came despite the fact that his message was often uncomfortable and radical offensive even to the religious authorities because he was doing unconventional and even unlawful things like touching lepers and healing on the Sabbath. But people came to see him because of the power of his love and the power of the truth he spoke and the power of his healing. We're told that people came who had sicknesses and were troubled deep within by spirits and that they wanted to touch Jesus, but that a power went out from him, and it says all were healed. This power and this love and this healing are still here for us now, just as they were 2,000 years ago. How do we bring ourselves into the tangible, palpable presence of this? What do we do? How do we respond in our life to these teachings that may be uncomfortable or threatening? Woe to you who are rich and satisfied and laughing and who depend on the approval of others. E. Stanley Jones, a Methodist minister and a missionary of the 20th century, 
once said of Jesus' words in this particular sermon that they are not a chart for Christian duty, but a charter of Christian liberty. They're not a chart for Christian duty, not a rule book of shoulds and should nots, but a charter for Christian liberty, a loving, compassionate guide for our freedom, a description for us about the nature of our humanity and our lives, about the freedom of being in the fullness of God, God's life and love. It's a gift of wisdom about the deeper nature of things, shared with love from the Son who knows both the divine and the human nature of things very well. When my uh, two oldest children were about six and eight, we were having this conversation about sweets not really being good for you. And I could see that what I was saying didn't make any sense at all to them. Cookies are not good for you? Yeah, no way. So somehow, I don't know how this happened, but out of this conversation, we came to decide on a very bold experiment that that came to be called All Sweets Day. That's right. All sweets, all day to eat, nothing else. So we arranged a date, and the night before we went to the grocery store, I felt like a horrible mother standing in line while my excited children delightedly put up on the counter chocolate donuts and ice cream and ingredients for brownie making and uh, cookies and licorice, frosted flakes. It was disgusting. So the next morning, for breakfast, frosted flakes and donuts with chocolate milk. And then it was snack time, and we had cookies. And, I mean, actually, it was always snack time that day. The kitchen looked like uh, an animal house party had taken place there. And we had apple pie for lunch. And then, well, I didn't. I was not a participant. I was an observer of All Sweets Day. Uh, And then at dinner time, my children said to me, Mommy, please, we don't want cake for dinner. Can we please have some good food? Nope, it's all sweet day. No. <laughs> I think I gave in. But it was a seminal day in, in their childhood, and it's a precious memory in our family. And there was some learning on their part, and I was grateful because I must admit I did feel guilty at times during that day. But they began to learn that it's not that brownies are bad. And you are bad if you eat them, and so you should be punished or scolded. They felt in their own bodies that it's simply the nature of things, that what you feed yourself affects your mood and your clarity and your energy and how your body feels and your health. And with that knowledge, they began to understand their choice and power in the quality of their life and their own health. Woe to you, says Jesus, who are rich and full and self-satisfied and gaining the approval of others, for you have received your consolation. Could it be that our fullness and focus are not allowing space for us to be fed by the more subtle and life-giving nourishment of God? What is our choice and power in this knowledge? What do we do? Do we need to give up something or add something or change something? Only each one of us can know with God 
what we are to do. We need to commit ourselves to spiritual practices or prayer and ask for help to unfold this gift of wisdom in our particular life. We need to ask God to show us the way, and God will, through Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit, God will show us the way. Perhaps we'll find a new ministry that means a lot to us here or in the community. Maybe we'll find that something we're attached to we no longer really need. Maybe through a chance encounter or something we hear in the news, we'll find ourselves deeply touched in our heart by someone suffering and feel ourselves drawn to bring our gifts to the work of change. Maybe we'll feel a shift in who we think we are and realize a strength we hadn't noticed. All of this is not about a should. It is about following the way of truth to being more fully alive in God and participating in that because it's life-giving and it's about who we truly are because all our longing and angst is a kind of homesickness for being at home with God. In the later part of his sermon, after the part that we heard today, Jesus speaks about radical love, radical forgiveness, generosity, and non-judgmentalness, and he reminds us that if we hear these teachings and don't act on them, we're like a person who builds a house without a foundation. The house is going to fall down, and he says, great will be the ruin. That ruin is the woeful hunger that will be left to us if we continue to depend only on lesser nourishment and lesser things of this world for our consolation, for our happiness, and for our well-being. Radical love and forgiveness and generosity and non-judgmentalness are also not shoulds that we have to follow so God will give us a nice reward. They are healthy nourishments for our souls. They're gifts to our hearts that bring us into the presence with the Holy Spirit. A difficulty in responding in action is that our cultural condition and our human inclination have deeply entrenched us in the belief that our happiness, our value, and our safety lie in what we achieve or what we possess or our pleasures or how much people like us and approve of us. So we put our efforts towards those things. We take that to be the wealth and richness that will console us. But it can leave us little space for God, for the very heart of life that we most need. And so we become troubled. It's very hard to make a change. It's like turning a big ship around. Old ways are so comfortable, yet we don't realize what great rewards we're missing. It takes a lot of work and commitment. Our deeper longings can help us, our ailing and inner sickness that cause us to healing. We need the support and grace of God. We need prayer. We need the help of one another. We need to come here. Giving up sweets is not easy. Their comfort is simple and immediate and good. Even after the lessons of all sweets day, I still love sweets. Jesus is telling us through his great love and tenderness that we will never find our heart's desires 
in the superficial goodies of life. There's nothing wrong with them, per se, but they're not enough, and they can distract us from what we're really hungering for. Jesus is offering us a most precious understanding. He's our most sacred teacher who we can trust, telling us the truth and leading us, if we choose to follow, into freedom and peace that passes understanding and the joy of realizing more each day our capacity to love one another. This is the promise. This is the good news. In the end, there's nothing worth not following this for. I pray today that we all can let go of some of the things that don't really nourish us and let ourselves find the hungry space that God can fill with great things beyond our imagining. I pray that we all find our way to the fullness of life in God, the deep satisfaction of loving one another and sharing that love with a world that needs it desperately. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.